You are listening to Friends of Europe's podcast. Don't miss our debates on global and European issues that span political, economic, social and environmental challenges and follow our website at friendsofeurope.org. I'm Shada Islam. I'm Director for Europe and Geopolitics at Friends of Europe. I know some of you very well and others I'm going to get to know. Um, I'm actually very delighted to be, you know, moderating this debate, but frankly, I'm also quite disappointed and surprised. I mean, you know, it's a 21st century, stupid. Uh, it's a 2018 and we're still talking about women's empowerment through business. Shouldn't we already have got that sorted and, you know, working for further uh, empowerment in other areas? But we're still at a stage where we're talking about the basics. So, you know, it is a little bit of a disappointment uh, in terms of how much we've evolved or haven't. I mean, it should be a no-brainer, right? I mean, 52% of the world population is female, I think, more or less, right? And, you know, it's so clear that full participation of women anywhere in the world would be good for everyone. Uh, good for the women, empowers the women, good for families, makes families more prosperous, good for societies because women are full participate, participants in the societies, good for the national economy, growth, GDP figures, all the things that we like to talk about. And obviously, you know, that should be something we've sorted here in Europe as well as uh, in your region, uh, something we, have, we share in common. The challenges are a little different, but they're very much the same also at the heart of it. So what are the challenges? It's obviously sometimes modesty, restraint on the part of the women themselves, what some of us call anticipatory obedience. So even if the laws, etc., don't keep you out you yourself because of the way you were brought up or your education, your tradition, our tradition, we hold back. We don't go the full Monty. So it can be that. It can be the families, traditions. It can be religion. It can also be laws of the country that are evolving but not implemented as they should be. We're going to talk a little bit about laws. It's also access to finance. I mean, if you're starting up a business, starting up a, a, a new entrepreneurship, you actually have to have good access to finance. It isn't always that easy, and we know that. But we live in the 21st century, as I said, and we do have tools. We have tools that can help us. Uh, social media, technology, digital. I mean, this is empowering women in ways that we didn't even think about, even, I would say, 10 to 15 years ago. So we're going to talk about all of these issues. We have uh, a system that I think by now you're, uh, you're used to, our templates. So we'll have some Kickstarter uh, interventions from uh, three ladies who are here, three women who are here. Uh, a fourth one may or may not come, but I hope she does. She's stuck in traffic. And then we'll have, as we've done before, interactive discussions, talk about your personal experiences. We have wonderful event reporter and a Twitter uh, colleague uh, who will be taking down what you're saying. And we always always come up with recommendations because the whole idea of these conversations is to get things changed, to transform the way we act, the way we behave, the policies we make. So let me very, very briefly introduce uh, our intervent, the, the, the ladies who are going to intervene initially. Yostina Bulls, Bulls uh, founder of Taka Solutions and a MENA young leader as well, also EYL40. Uh, you had a business focused on providing clean and sustainable energy to farmers in Egypt. So we're going to hear from you, and you're going to give us a little bit of an idea of how we can work together to make women more empowered through business. Also delighted uh, to have with us Ulla Engelmann, 
and she's from DG European Commission, DG for Internal Market, Industry, Entrepreneurship, and Small and Medium-Sized Enterprises. Also, really delighted to have with us Silvana Korsch-Meren. Uh, she's president and founder of the Women Political Leaders Forum. I'm sure you've heard about it. It's become more and more famous as time goes on. It's a worldwide network, network of female politicians. And, of course, your, your mandate is to increase the power and influence of women in legislatures, right, in parliaments across the world. So we also will have, I hope, later uh, Asita Kanko, and you'll meet her. She's an author, politician, and founder of Poland, hashtag Poland. So this is a political incubator, and she aims to encourage and support young women who are going into politics here in Belgium. So four wonderful women, four very different points of view, and I'm going to ask you, Justina, to kick off uh, three to four minutes, and then we'll go round, uh, round and round. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'll, I'll introduce myself briefly. Um, I am an ex-entrepreneur. I, I used to have a company um, in renewable energy in Egypt. I started it after um, winning a reality TV show for young entrepreneurs. It was like kind of the apprentice show. And then um, I got seed investment to start my company. I always had passion for um, renewable energy, although I'm a pharmacist. And then I faced enormous challenges as... I think any entrepreneur, but also any woman entrepreneur trying to be on the forefront, um, very focused on social uh, impact of, uh, of our enterprises and really, really concerned about bringing the profit back to our communities and not just um, to our investors. So um, I started the company back in 2014 and, um, and then now I moved on. I, I'm now based in London. I, um, I'm an energy economist. Uh, I work at the intersection of decentralized energy and blockchain. It's very, very new, but it's up and coming. Um, I, I'm going to go straight to the point and talk about what, what, do we, what do we really need to do to, to make women entrepreneurship and problem solving better fitted for our challenges. Um, I, I want you to all imagine your own life, like how much challenges you face in your daily life, and, and then reflect somehow on what a woman entrepreneur in the South or the North would be facing daily. Um, uh, I, think, I think what we're missing so much now is a strategy and a vision, really, a strategy and a vision. If, if, I, if I tell you a woman entrepreneur from Egypt or Morocco or anything, do you still have the mental image of a woman entrepreneur doing cute, crafty things? Or do you envision a woman standing behind um, innovation, driving the technology frontier, leading on? And comparing both images, do you think we have the resources for taking women from the South, from just nice, cute crafts, cultural spaces, to women who are leading on technologies? Do we, is the, is the, are we bridging the gap, really? Are we really, really working on um, supporting them with the resources that they need? There are a lot of things that happen through my journey that... Uh, 
that has that have been really really of a great support for me to understand the wider world of entrepreneurship um, and then you're going to hear from all the other speakers to bring the pieces together one of them is of course networking if i did not have access to other uh, entrepreneurs um, in 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 europe to be honest, in Europe and the States to see what's the um, state of art in whatever they're doing, I was going to still be doing my own thing, just a lost kid in Africa trying to bring solutions to my own community without, without having this vision of becoming bigger, of scaling up or, or dreaming bigger. Because I did not know what does dreaming b bigger entail in the first Right. So, Yasina, in terms of you said you won this television uh, show, yes. show, right? A competition. That Was that the, the spur you got? Was that what gave you the energy and the finance yes. to start off on your own? Was it? Yes, uh, of course. So, after winning the show, I had the support of the whole ecosystem. Everyone chipped in because... In, in Egypt? Yes, in Egypt and also in the MENA region. And to be honest, it had its, its um, cons and pros because I was only 24 years old and I remember the show makers taking me to Qatar because um, they were one of the investors in the show. And I remember, I remember one of the audience listening to my story and the idea of my startup telling me, you're 24, this is the right age to start your startup. But who told you? And why do we make statements about the region that might not really be correct and might that might yeah disconnected from the reality yes exactly okay so going from the cute and craft uh, craft based sort of exactly. industry to this leading in Thai tech what were the challenges you faced i mean it couldn't have been smooth sailing and you're not you're not 24 anymore yes. you're probably not yet 20 34 but, <laughs> yes. but what were the challenges you faced um, so of course access to finance was was one of them because Whenever I said I'm working on a technology, renewable energy technology, I have heard the sentence that we always say to entrepreneurs, listen, start and money will follow. No, I'm sorry. The region needs investors, investors who are daring to burn money, to be patient for money. The region needs people to envision it in a different way, so they invest in a different way. Sustainable in investment, social investment, whatever you want to call it, but... Don't, don't put um, the hard work on the entrepreneurs and tell them, lead on, dream big, and make the difference in technologies and make difference in communities without having the right resources. Uh, so, yeah, I, I also want to say that this is now really work, like being solved. Uh, a lot of, um, of local investors are, are making small groups of investors. W one of them is called Nile Angels that uh, just started this year. And they're from the upstream or like southern Egypt where they're really, really looking at solutions in southern of Egypt, not just Cairo or the bigger cities. So this is, this is very important to bring to bring our countries from just an imitation of technology to the frontier of technology where we can innovate and, and really compete 
on in a world class um, uh, type of, of innovations, we really need to stop saying imitate. Don't like you don't have to be do, doing something big. Just serve your own communities. Bridge the gap between the government, what the government can't offer, and what what people really really need. No, dream bigger and give them the resources. Um, so access of finance patience, uh, and of course, as I said, the, the vision for, for uh, uh, another kind of reality. Thank you very much. So dream big, but also have the resources to do so. So when we talk about resources, Ula, we often talk about the European Union. Uh, you're a big partner of the region, of the MENA region, and of course the EU is investing quite a bit in, in, in uh, the region, you know, in terms of financing projects, financing the budgetary deficits sometimes, etc. When you hear someone like Justina talking to you about her challenges mm. as an entrepreneur, do you have some kind of solution for her? Do you work with people like her? Mm. Yeah, first of all, uh, what uh, Justina said is very much what, what we also hear from uh, women entrepreneurs in Europe. I think that, that there is no real difference uh, in, in what you described that sounds very familiar to, to what we heard. And so access to finance is definitely one of the topics uh, which, which we are trying to tackle. Of course, we're having a lot of discussions and, and uh, being responsible uh, in uh, DG Grow for... Uh, women entrepreneurship, there is often the discussion, but do we really need uh, even to tackle women entrepreneurship? Should we not foster generally entrepreneurship? But then when we look at uh, some data, we see, for example, in access to finance, that for a bank, it makes a difference whether you have a female name or a male name when you ask for a loan or so. Still here in Europe? Yeah. So, um, and that's why what we are for the time being, uh, one very concrete measure we have taken is we, because when you also look at business angels, because also the business angels are mainly male. So we are now trying to foster women business angels and we have some pilot projects running on uh, women business angels and we try to, to create more networks uh, to encourage uh, already women entrepreneurs to be part of uh, women business angels and we're trying several pilot projects so they are all ongoing so we hope uh, next year having first results which we can compare. And uh, we are also doing this in very close cooperation with our colleagues from uh, DG Connect because we feel, and you have also mentioned it, and that the digitalization is, is something we should take into account uh, because, as you said quite rightly, we are not only talking about producing cute handicrafts, we, uh, we are talking about uh, tech startups, we are talking, we want to encourage uh, high-tech uh, startups, uh, but for this y you need the digital knowledge and, and another, which I think is quite shocking figure, I can only speak for Europe, um, it is going down. The women in ICT are going down, which is really, I, I think I have the exact figures. Um, in 2005, we had 22% of European ICT specialists being women. In 2015, it dropped to 16. So it dropped by 6%. So uh, it, it is really not... Do we know why? It is not good news. It's uh, less and less... But uh, why is that? Do we know why? Uh, we don't really know why. Um, I mean, because if you look at the STEM figures, the science... Yeah, exactly. They are more or less stable, 
but the ICT part, it, it dropped. And now, having realized that, that there is this drop, we try to look more in detail into it. Why? Because for the time being, at least I haven't seen a quantitative analysis on, on the why. But uh, that, that's not good news, because it also means for the future entrepreneurs, they will have even more difficulties uh, to, to go into this area. So I think I, I, for an end tour, I stop here, but I have other. But I want to just ask you, so you talked about networks, but what, is, what do networks bring? What's so, what's so special about networks in the field of entrepreneurship? Is it learning from each other? Is it, what, what is it? Why is it important? Mm. Uh, it is important on one hand, as you said, learning from each other, but also when you are part of a network, you hear about occasions and, and grabbing occasions or linking to the right people because it is once like a little snowball which you, which you start and it becomes an avalanche, but you need to be in, in the right circles to, to get some information and this information are then business relevant information which you can use for your um, business. And for that, we have created something uh, which is called uh, WeGate, W-E, like Women Entrepreneur Gate. But um, we have realized, uh, because the original idea when it was conceived was that it's for women entrepreneurs. But that doesn't work. Because no women entrepreneur will go on a European platform. They have so many things to do. They will not just try and, and Google and, and find uh, a European platform. So we are now revamping this uh, platform and that it's useful for women entrepreneurship support organizations because it's a role of the support organization because a women entrepreneur will go to the lo local community, to the business chambers or commerce chambers and so on and are there for help. But these persons need to know what are the possibilities for access to finance? Where can a woman apply to, to get more? What are the networks which exist? So we are now trying to revamp this WeGate uh, into this sense that it is useful and uh, helps to create. And this WeGate is open internationally, so I can only encourage you, all of you who are interested, use it because it should be a tool which can then help to connect with each other. Okay, so we'll come, come to further questions. I just want to very warmly welcome Miss Elizabeth Gigou. Uh, good afternoon, lovely to see you here, Elizabeth. Uh, of course, president of Anna Lind and a pioneer in terms of political empowerment of women in France uh, and in Europe more generally as well. Also want to welcome Asita. Kanko, we were waiting for you, but I know you were stuck in traffic, I know. So we've talked about the view from the entrepreneurs, you know, and we've talked about the importance also of rules and regulations, because women who are embarking on a career in business need uh, a level playing field, let's put it this way, when it comes to rules and regulations. You're a politician, uh, a very impressive politician. I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of your insight into how we can, as a society, as a community, help women entrepreneurs on both sides of the Mediterranean, in fact. Uh, you need a, a, so if you could, thank you, Justine. Thank you, Justine. Yeah. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Sorry for being late. I was stuck in traffic, as you can see, because of political decision in some neighborhoods in Brussels. So <laughs> it was not my decision, but okay. Um, as I would speak as a politician, but also as an entrepreneur myself, I think that the issue um, that we face from the political point of view is um, linked to three major major elements. First of all, the access to uh, 
credits to financing is indeed difficult, more difficult for women because of sexist reasons, but also because of a lack of networking in the right environment and a lack of training. You know, as a former banker, if someone comes to me with a project, it doesn't matter who comes with it. What is important is the quality and the structure of the project. Did the entrepreneur find a, a proper mentor to prepare the file with her? With her? This is very important. When I was working at BNP Paribas, we tried to train uh, local, um, um, local office directors to make them more sensitive to female entrepreneurs' cases because they will not present uh, their case on the same way as men will. Men will come in very confident, mostly, even if the file is very bad, and they will try to make the bank director uh, believe in them. But the women will come, and mostly we notice that they want it to be perfect before they will dare to ask for credit. So to take these key elements inside and to ask questions sort of to offer some support. Regarding the social uh, aspects, uh, women mostly stop with entrepreneurship or do not want to start with entrepreneurship because it's a, it's a situation where you get a, in trouble when you become pregnant, for example. So you have other social responsibilities that are not immediately taken into account in laws. But now in Belgium, we have uh, developed more uh, access to uh, social rights for all entrepreneurs, not only women. And mostly entrepreneurs are couples. And the, the, the rights for men and for women are not the same. For example, for parental leave, for the, for, the, for, the, for the father. So this year, what we're trying to do is to have more rights for, for the fathers as well who are independent entrepreneurs so that they can uh, share the responsibility in-house. Um, one other thing I would like to say, not as a politician, but just as a woman, as a European and as an African woman, is that the biggest difficulty worldwide today, why women are not, um, are just a very little part of this um, advantage of entrepreneurship, 34% in Belgium since 2015. We have more than 1 million entrepreneurs in Belgium, but only 34% are, are women. The basic things is just what the suffragettes once said. The fact is that men are not doing the dishes. So when you need to run your company or to run your political career or to create your own thing, that like to start something new, you need all your energy. You need to focus. You need someone who doesn't say, I will, I will help you with the kids. You need someone who say, I will take care of our kids so that you take care of your business. You need a wife. Or, no, you need a partner. You need a modern feminist man. Or, I would say very radically, just don't have any, you know, if... He is not prepared to share the responsibility at home because as long as we don't share that responsibility, we will always be struggling. And the last thing I would like to add is where do you network? When I launched the political incubator, I, I went across, uh, I went to all other places. I went to Silvana, who is here also for advice. I went to uh, business people because you cannot uh, just start something and stay in a silo. You need to go beyond your own network and find new clients and find new sponsors, people who would have never thought of you if you did not come to them. So as women politicians, we make the mistake to say often in the same circle, but we need voters who are also, who did not go to the same schools as us. It's the same as entrepreneurs. You need to go outside of your network. So when we had the polling forum, there were entrepreneurs there who tried to find clients, but you need also to invade the male clubs. I go to the male clubs to find clients for my sustainability company because, you know, their money is also important. We need to, to earn that. And when you stay in the same networks, the risk is that you are just fishing too much in the same 
same river. And at the end of the day, there is no fish anymore. So you have to be more daring. You have to be bolder. You actually have to go outside your comfort zone. Even though being an entrepreneur, you're not really in a comfort zone anyway. Mm -hmm. You're you working hard. You need to go beyond, beyond that uncomfortable zone as well. Yes. Right. right. Let's, we'll come back to that comfort zone uh, issue, I think, which is very, very important. But I want to turn now to Silvana uh, as well. Silvana, women leadership, right? Is it really that different from male leadership? And did, will it help women entrepreneurs in a different way if women are more in power? With legislation, say? Well, let's, let, let's just imagine a woman who is daring and who is willing to step out of her comfort zone. She sets up a company, she's quite successful in running it, and then the law tells her, you're not allowed to keep what you earn. You're not allowed to decide where you invest this money. You're not allowed to sell the company or to pass it on to your children. And this is not because she doesn't dare, but because the law says, you're not allowed to do that. And these kind of restrictions are all around us. Of the around 200 countries in the world, just about 20 countries don't treat women and men differently when it comes to legal environment for economic activity. This means not all EU countries are part of that club of 20. And the World Bank does a great job every year. They um, produce a study which is called Women, Business and the Law, where they look at constitutions and the legal bulk of each country that is a member of the World Bank IMF um, environment and assess it. Are there differences for women and men? And for example, around 2.7 billion women in the world are legally restricted in their decision what job to take. Right? That you can go and talk about um, <laughs> cute craft things. If they're not allowed to choose between cute craft or innovative job, it's a whole different setup. And that's so it's where in the Constitution? Is it's in, in the, the Constitution or in the laws. And this is, is utterly crazy. And if you look at this, <laughs> it makes you just filled with anger every morning. And I always call it the to-do list for legislators, to get rid of those laws that treat women and men differently in their economic activities. And that's not some feminist theory I'm spreading here. I think it's just normal sense that it makes sense to remove those legal barriers because you can generate enormous growth. The International Trade Center um, that's based in Geneva always says, if you remove the barriers that women face, it's like adding another China plus US to the world economy in terms of economic growth. Now, who wouldn't want that, right? I mean, plenty of problems that we have in the world would be solved with this kind of economic additional growth. But when you look at the, um, the scorecards that the World Bank produces, you see incredible differences. And I'm telling this uncomfortable truth here in this group because we're talking about young, young leaders from both European and Mediterranean country because in this World Bank report, it shows that the high-income countries, which are almost all part of the OECD, are doing quite well in removing the barriers, meaning they're smart. They don't exclude the other 50% or 52% of the economic participation, whereas MENA countries score the lowest, meaning the countries of Middle East, North Africa, still have the highest barriers. I'm just talking about laws. I'm not talking about traditions or social pressure or how to reconcile 
the domestic work share and, and, and all this. This is kind of the add-on that comes. Um, I'm talking about laws, things that people make as rules on how they live together. You can decide um, on, on, on a way to, uh, to free up job choices or you remove the freedom to have job choices. So um, that's why I think it's very crucial to have, um, to have a good diverse group as political decision makers because you can see there is a correlation because it's not like that all men would like and prefer the situation to stay like this, but one's own reality often determines how do I look at things and what do I make as my kind of main theme to work on which legislation will I champion. And um, women having witnessed, for example, their own personal struggle or a friend's or a sister's or a mother's struggle will might, the likelihood that they pick on one of those elements which restrict the women's participation and say, I'm going to push this through. I will convince my male colleagues to champion this, to support me to get the majority is quite high. So that's why I think it's crucial to have women as political leaders. It's crucial to bring men in, of course. I mean, women are in a tiny minority still, like 93% of the men of the world's presidents and prime ministers are men. And um, 93. And um, if you look at parliamentary seats, it's a bit better. We get to something like 77% um, percent, percent being, <laughs> being male. <laughs> Uh, but still, right? We're far, far, far away from getting anywhere to close to what reflects reality in a society. So we need more women. We need men to be smart enough to, <laughs> to champion uh, this. And uh, removing those barriers will, I think, bring a wave of economic empowerment, uh, which is only beneficial to all of us. So when one hears this, right, and the economic benefits, because in the world, let's be quite frank, economy just does resonate much more than if you're talking about morality or ethics, etc. You know, you talk business, you get people hurt. When you say that this would add another U.S. and a China to the world growth, how is it that that doesn't convince people uh, to, to remove barriers? Do we need campaigns of the kind hashtag me too, which is a global phenomenon? Do we need a campaign... Uh, a global campaign that really says, you know, this, the legal barriers and the traditional barriers obviously have to go. I was wondering, uh, Elizabeth Guigou, I mean, your own example and uh, in France, I mean, when you were pioneering women's empowerment, emancipation, what were the kind of barriers you faced uh, and, and how did you overcome them? I mean, you were really out there uh, when this wasn't the norm. Huh? Women politicians uh, in Europe were also not that frequent. Thank you very much, and, uh, and thank you for the very interesting uh, interventions, both, I heard. Um, I, I think that, um, well, things are improving, of course, because for, for one reason is that in many countries, maybe not everywhere, uh, the question of uh, uh, gender equality uh, is now accepted, at least, uh, you know, by... Uh, in the in the mainstream is now accepted as being something ne uh, necessary and good for all public life and especially in companies and so uh, I think that things have been improving in the last uh, 20 years and they will still improve of course 
because uh, of the recent movements. You know, the, I, I often say that as far as uh, uh, not only barriers, but uh, you know, uh, real problems that women face in their public life, the movement Me Too is really something that is a turning point because uh, shame has uh, shifted from one camp to another. That's and that's very important. Now, what I uh, observed in my uh, in, in all my uh, career was that um, all the restrictions that you have analyzed and that we observe everywhere in all countries, in fact, although with maybe uh, different intensities, uh, uh, I think that uh, uh, um, what we observe at the root of that is the fact that there are not enough women in public life. And that uh, still today, uh, the idea, uh, which is uh, uh, in the majority of the population, is that uh, it would be better if women stayed at home. <laughs> and so uh, the fact that they are not, uh, there are not enough women, of course, uh, <laughs> Um, makes that uh, those who are in public life have got to prove much more than uh, their colleagues, uh, male colleagues. And that they have to accumulate, as you very well explained, uh, three types of lies. <laughs> for politi for uh, In politics, you have to uh, take care of home, of course, because less... Uh, uh, men, you know, uh, are very, they are not very much involved. Younger generations are much more involved. I can see that with my son, and, uh, and who has been, of course, bred in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I can see that with his friends, of course. But anyway, we are very far from, you know, the, the whole of the responsibility is uh, for, for women. That's one thing. The second is the career, professional career. And when we are in politics, there's the third one, because you've got to attend, you know, all these meetings, which are always in the evening, always during the weekends. And, uh, and therefore, and th this will not change unless you have more women in politics. That's... Uh, what, uh, there we, we need to have legal rules to impose that, because it will not be natural. Uh, in France, when I was Minister of Justice, we had to change the constitution uh, to allow uh, gender equality in uh, elections. And this had been... Uh, there had been many tentatives, you know, uh, in the past 200 years. And why did it fail? Because the uh, uh, Constitutional Council, which is the high uh, constitutional court, judged that uh, if we had uh, uh, specific regulations for women, it would be against, it would go against the idea of republican universality. Now, it took, can you imagine that? It took, uh, and so there were a few uh, uh, projects, you know, law, legal projects that were uh, refused by the uh, High Constitutional Court. And it took the work of uh, historians, mm. 
of philosophers, women philosophers, to say, but what is this uh, uh, story about uh, uh, universality of, uh, in, in the Republic? Uh, it is not, and they, they showed that it was only, you know, a, a mask for uh, uh, male uh, domination. So we took uh, advantage of that, and uh, with what did we explain? We explained that uh, since women were not a minority, they were not a minority, there were women in all minorities anyway, uh, and, uh, and uh, that uh, women were at least half of humanity, and therefore we were not in France seeking for quotas, which had been rejected several times. We were seeking for parity, which is strict equality, 50-50. And this is the law that we, we changed the constitution for that, and this is the law that we... Uh, so I think we should do that uh, in all fields of public life, in, for companies, for uh, uh, politics, for, of course, e everything. Now, in France, we have, uh, we have laws now saying that in uh, 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 councils, uh, in companies, we need to have at least 40% women. Well, it's a first step. Okay, it's not the ideal. So, but I'm, I'm absolutely sure that if we have more women everywhere, then new ways of working, new approaches will be uh, quite, will become quite natural. And of course, we need men to work with us for that. Right. <laughs> it's absolutely necessary. Right. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for those insights. And as you said, you know, this is perhaps the right moment to act because there is a mobilization around this question of women's participation and parity that was not there even a year ago, let's be quite frank. So let me now turn to the guys because we have some very, very dedicated young men and others here. And I really do want to get your point of view a little bit. And for all of the others, I'd like you to focus a little bit on what we can do better as, 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 as a group, but also as young people, people who are working on these issues. What can we together you know, as a network, do better? Where, where are the areas that we should push harder and where should we actually then restrain ourselves and perhaps not go there at this point? So, uh, Amit, you wanted to come in at this point? So there's a microphone. And please keep your interventions short and sweet so we can get everyone in. Yeah. I'll speak about the MENA region. I think that we are uh, witnessing something. Can you just introduce yourself to uh, people who may not have heard you before? I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Tarek. My name is Abdel Bast bin Hassan. I'm the president of the Arab Institute for Human Rights based in Tunis. I think that in, uh, in the MENA region uh, we are witnessing something uh, powerful. It's real demographic change. Now women are the majority. And I think that is, this is not just a major demographic change, but it's geostrategic demographic change because now women are present everywhere in the economic life and the social life and uh, in education everywhere and also in the entrepreneurship uh, sector. But at the same time, we are uh, witnessing this kind of progress, but at the same time, we are also living a real uh, unbelievable uh, contradiction because at the same time women are really marginalized from the um, from the uh, 
decision-making processes. This is the real problem in our region. Women are powerful on a geostrategic uh, term, but they are at the same time really marginalized in the uh, decision-making processes. And I think that we really now to, we need to challenge this kind of major inequality. And I don't think that we can uh, challenge this inequality without challenging all forms of inequality against women and against also other social categories. We need now, and I, I, what I suggest is that the business sector or some people from the business sector come with the civil society and even with governmental institutions to try to think about inequalities in the entrepreneurship sector. This is, I think, we need a kind of campaign to demonstrate all these inequalities and try to challenge barriers, what we call barriers. Uh, second thing, I think that we have this kind of inequality between men and women, but at the same time, we have other layers of inequalities. Poor women, women in the rural areas, uh, women from different minorities, uh, refugee women, I think that also we need to integrate these people in our work against inequalities. Uh, last thing, I think that we have another big, big challenge. The quality of education. This is another challenge of uh, normal education, formal education. But we have another thing what is really will undermine all our work for to, to, to change our societies. It's about analphabetism. Analphabetism now in some uh, countries in MENA region reached 20%. 20% of the populations are suffering from analphabetism. The Arab countries in the 60s, they challenged analphabetism with, uh, uh, with public policies and re they reduced it in the 60s, they reduced analphabetism with, I think, about, about 70%. It was reduced, the, the analphabetism. This demonstrates that we need really to push for public policies who take into consideration equality versus uh, education. It's a very fair point about the regression uh, in terms of education. You're absolutely right. And I think also the point that you need the whole of society the, the, to transform. The last thing, I, I forgot the, the, the something okay, very the, important. The crunch, yes. It's not only uh, challenging inequality, challenging equality and violence against women. And violence, violence against, women. against women is the really, the really phenomenon that is really uh, impeaching women to go through this kind of uh, freedom experiences. And in Tunisia, when we start, I was part of the campaign to adopt the law uh, against all forms of violence against women. At the beginning, all people said it's impossible. This law will not be adopted. But due to a very big, very big uh, campaign from the civil society, we succeeded. And this is a very important step to uh, really uh, free women from all forms of violence. Absolutely right. And there was a hope at that point that this would then be replicated in other uh, countries with Muslim majority populations, but I don't think that's really been the case. Uh, uh, I think that uh, uh, it will happen. It because, will happen. Because this is history. For example, impeaching women to marry uh, 
the women he uh, raped, raped, raped victims. Yeah. I think That's 20 changing. years ago, no one uh, was thinking that it will change in our countries. Mm. It's changing not only in Tunisia, but in other Arab countries. I think that yeah. we should believe in the power of women. Right. And we saw the power of women in Tunisia after the revolution because they protected Tunisia from uh, any kind of regression. That's absolutely right. And as they say in English, strike while the iron is hot. And I think this really is the hot moment to bring change. It's, it's actually a very, very exciting moment for transformation. Though, uh, though we are disrupted, but disruption is leading to people changing the way they have thought traditionally. I'd like to bring in some other people into the discussion. How many of the young ladies here are actually thinking of being entrepreneurs or already are entrepreneurs? Uh, and, and, and are there any experiences uh, that you would like to share? Yes, please. Just introduce yourself very quickly. Uh, my name is uh, Lina Al Maina. I'm from Saudi Arabia, and I'm actually wearing a few hats tonight. So uh, I, uh, I'm a, that's one, but I've got another one. And basically, I um, I started 15 years ago a social entrepreneurship uh, initiative. It was uh, a sports um, company, and what this company does, it trains girls and boys in team sports. So we focus on basketball and football, um, and this is. Um, at a time where sports was still a taboo in Saudi Arabia. And um, I started with zero capital. I had uh, basically, I, I started it in a way where I would just get like fees from the girls and then pay off the coach or pay the rent of the uh, location. So it was really started with um, just a passion. And I was uh, actually captain of my uh, team up until 2012. I was captain of the Jeddah United women's basketball team that traveled the world. Um, every year we had a game in an international country to change stereotypes about Saudi women and um, locally to promote the culture of sports in Saudi Arabia. And um, last year I was appointed a member of the Shura Council, which is the Saudi parliament, and talking about women in politics. Um, we are 20% of the parliament and we... Um, this was only since 2013 when King Abdullah um, had women as member of the, the Saudi uh, Shura Council. Um, and um, when you talk about, you know, it's every country's got its own challenges. But when we talk about, like, um, economic activity, we had our challenges. But right as of now, we have no um, legal barriers between men and women in the business sector. Uh, in fact, Saudi Arabia is actually has equal pay between men and women in wages. This is something that not a lot of people um, know. Uh, but in the private sector, it's a little, there's a slight difference. But in government sector, it's actually exactly the same. So I just wanted to share that, um, you know, we've come a long way, especially in the sports sector, where women have, um, you know, joined the um, London Olympics in 2012 for the first time in the history of the Olympics. In 2016, the number, number doubled. Now we have, you know, licenses for gyms. We have PE in government schools this last year. So, so many things are happening. But when you talk about networking, yes, that's a challenge. I think that um, funding is a problem everywhere um, and also uh, networking. But I think that with networking like this, you know, with global networking, I think it opens up a lot of opportunities for, you know, for 
development and for um, you know just increasing your um, your outreach really right thank you very much because i mean i did know about the uh, number of saudi women the impressive number of saudi women in business i think that story is out there and and, and recognized but i didn't know about the sports but obviously a lot of challenges still ahead uh, in terms of uh, political empowerment and visibility and uh, emancipation. But thank you so much for sharing that. I think this is one of the interesting bits of our conversation is to get uh, the voices that we don't, I mean, I don't normally get to hear. Let's go to the guy first and then I'll come to you. Yeah. Thank you. My name is Eduardo. I'm originally from Italy, but living in Belgium for quite a while. Um, the point that I want to touch start from an image that I saw on a newspaper some times ago, and it was an image to explain two concepts that sometimes are easily confused. So in the image, you have three, three guys, three boys, trying to look at the baseball, baseball game, but there is a fence in front of them. Probably you've seen this, this image. And the point is that these three guys, one is tall and can see above the fence, one is just you know, at the same height of the, of the fence, and one is very short, so he cannot see. In the second image, they are given three boxes of the same height, probably 30 centimeters or so. So for the tall guy, basically nothing changed. He still can see you know, the game probably from a higher perspective. For the second guy, it does change because from right above, below the, the fence, he can now see above the fence. For the third guy, nothing really changed. He's still you know, too short yeah. to, to watch the game. In the third image, they are given three different boxes of three different heights. So that even the third guy is given like a higher box so he can see, you know, the, the game himself. So my question is, should we really talk about gender equality or we should more talk about equity? Consider that even if we are given, you know, both, let's say, same tools to men and women, but consider that we come from different backgrounds, different stories, should we probably focus on achieving the goals by giving different means? but allowing you know, to reach the goals and not simply focusing on the means, which could be equal but unequal to if you really look at the, at the end goal. So it's, a, it's an open question. I don't really have an answer. But the point is, should Worth we discussing. talk about equality or equity if we really want to make an impact? Thank yeah, you. so in a sense, you're talking about affirmative, affirmative action of a kind. Uh, Elizabeth, could you take one or the other? Okay, well, Elizabeth, go ahead. I mean, in two, two, two seconds. Uh, you could very well say that uh, equality in uh, public life, in private life, and in the rules should be the rule. And that because it's not enough, yeah. we have on top of that to, uh, to aim at uh, real uh, equality, which is... Uh, but uh, not, not you know, substitute one to, to, to the other, because otherwise you will find pretext, very good pretext, you know, not, not to do anything. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, that, that's a good answer. Uh, I will come to all the other uh, so-called panelists in a minute, but I want to hear the other voices, and then I'll give all four of you the floor uh, at the end when you can comment on what has been said. I saw some hands go up, and I couldn't quite catch what was happening. Of course, you. Yes, please. No, no, no. She, uh, my, my voice is loud. I know. We, so it's still, we're taping it as well. So thank you. I'm Haya Bakov from Jordan, uh, associate at a law firm. Um, when we are talking about changing an ideology between a generation, um, it's like a pyramid. So 
not every one of us was born to start uh, its career. Um, we should start with education and homes and the, the ideologies that uh, children are raised on from, from um, the beginnings, you know? And in home, how do, how do they see their parents treating each other? Do their fathers help their mothers? And uh, in the curriculum they're studying at, uh, at schools. So um, we were discussing this further in the session before of how to make a change. And uh, I realized the amount of the early marriage uh, raising in Jordan, especially after the Syrian war. And therefore, um, I came up with an initiative which aims to rise in the legal awareness, not only among women, uh, young women, but also youth in general. So what we did was to start to educate young people in schools um, on their rights. Um, you mentioned the laws. Luckily, our laws are with women, but people don't know that's the problem. We don't have this legal awareness. So uh, one of the things that we should do is to let them know what they have and what supports them and um, in home and in uh, schools. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, please. Yes, let's go here first. Sorry. I'll go that way. <laughs> there are other microphones, aren't there? Um, I'm Ruba Salahdin. I'm from Lebanon. Uh, I want to add to to what I said. She said about uh, education and awareness. But first, in in countries that doesn't have law that support women, it must be by law. You can't achieve uh, equity if we don't if we don't uh, set this by law. So uh, being represented in the parliament or uh, having uh, jobs or stopping violence in, in Arab countries or in MENA region where it's too, there's too much violence against uh, women and there, there's no uh, law. In Lebanon last year they, they, prevent, uh, they said that they uh, banned the law uh, allowing the rapist, uh, the rapist to, to marry his victim. So there still, we still need um, uh, laws. It must be by law. Then it will be something that's... Uh, that's uh, that's normal. We don't need the uh, law for that. But first, they must be um, uh, uh, obliged to 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 do it. So, yes. laws, but also, as you said, legal awareness, but also implementation of the law. Yeah, if, if, you, if, you, if you made the law, then uh, eventually people will ha will have awareness. Right. Okay. I saw another hand go up there. Yes. Yes. Of course. For you first. Yes. Please. You, uh, I've seen you now. Uh, hello, I'm Hala from Libya. Um, I work, uh, I'm not an entrepreneur, but I work a lot with entrepreneurs. My think tank uh, has a special focus in women in uh, economic inclusion. And also we are the first founders of uh, business, women business incubator. So we really know, or at least we're trying to know what, what's the challenges uh, for women. And I think that uh, social norms is one of the major challenges because why most of the women work in the QT, as you as you mentioned, uh, you know, handcraft, baking, uh, food industry is because it's acceptable by the society. They feel more comfortable, and that's why they're always work there. 
although that at least for Libya, we, our economic rights is the same for women and men. We, ha we don't have really uh, differences. But uh, still, um, women, they prefer to go to work there because they can uh, achieve their life and work balance. Also, it's acceptable by society. I used to work in a law firm, and lawyers are not something that very encouraging. You know, we don't really like to see lawyers, especially who works in corporate and business, as I used to. Um, uh, this is the challenge, and I think how it can change is by, of course, the change in politics. We need more women politicians, but who are they? The quality. Because in my experience in Libya, and I work a lot with the decision maker and uh, congresswomen, they don't believe in the cause. They don't see it as a valuable to say that women should abide to the culture and should abide to the social norms that we have. This is the, our religion, this is our culture and tradition. So we are promoting women to, to take a part in the political sphere, but they are not working for the cause. And this is, this is a real issue. And I think an opportunity there is with the digital transformation that we have. Because, you know, working in, in digital, it's more or less... You don't have the gender the differences here. And I think, although that it's quite, there's many challenges in um, <clears throat> implementing this in our region, starting from infrastructure and all so on, but there is the, women are more and more into, um, involved in ICT, and maybe we can create success stories that changing the norms after all. So um, this is my... Thank you, very, very valuable indeed, please. Hello, my name is Fatima, again, from Morocco. Uh, well, uh, just back to the point of uh, higher education and uh, also connecting with your question, your previous question of uh, initiatives, I just want to say that like some women now, especially in certain um, uh, um, uh, countries, uh, it's not really a priority for them to uh, get involved in uh, politics or such big uh, issues for them. So uh, we have these problems of like to be, to have some um, uh, really um, uh, finding some connecting with, with, uh, with, uh, with those women who are living in those areas. But um, we have um, uh, created an initiative for women in Morocco, me and one of my colleagues here also. Uh, it's also for um, women helping each other uh, because now, as I see, is women always trying to be equal with men. Um, just want to get to reach what men uh, are reaching. So why men are always uh, in all the sectors and stuff. So we should actually not focus on this, but focus on the idea itself, just to, to empower our, uh, ourselves. Um, um, ourselves. So the idea was like uh, women can talk together and we have this program and we have trained, it's a baby project, <laughs> so initiative. So we have trained 60 um, women around Morocco and it was um, mostly about um, sexual harassment, violence and uh, things like this. But what's special is they help each other in uh, reaching some uh, solutions. It's not like waiting for um, some other people to do this, but uh, we create this sense of leadership uh, for those women. So this thing. Another thing is, why are we still sometimes, uh, I don't know, but I uh, many times I have um, uh, like noticed that there is still some, uh, between women, each, like themselves, they have a kind of, um, uh, some women they don't like some other women. Um, uh, yeah. Com yeah, exactly. 
exactly like okay they also have like some racism maybe between each other in some places so this is also something maybe i have noticed this um, in morocco so you are from this level the other one is from this level so you are not involved in these things so you can yeah exactly so those things are like for example now we are uh, i see a um, lot of colors and uh, um, uh, girls with veils girls without and in morocco sometimes uh, girls with veils cannot work in such uh, uh, like in some workplaces just because they are wearing differently from mm -hmm. like than the others so this is also Something it's a very fair know. point. It's a point exactly. worth uh, bringing, bringing to the fore Thank as well. You. Thank you very much indeed. Let's go back to the initial speakers. And uh, let's go now also with Justina. So you've heard all the different interventions. And the question really that I want to put to all four of you is where do we go from now? So having heard all this, we've looked at the challenges, we've looked at the opportunities. What should be the next steps? Um, I think the next step is, um, is thinking of the future and um, deciding together that the future could should not be designed only by men, but designed by men and women. We spoke about how um, women integration in, in public policy is very, very important, but I think we need women, uh, as you said, in each and every sector to design a future for both of us. Um, a couple of days ago, I saw a post by um, a Stanford professor, a woman, working in um, self-driving vehicles, and she was looking all over the place for an expert, a woman expert, um, who, who, who knows about this subject, AI, but specifically uh, vehicles and and I thought for a moment like I, I don't want a future where whatever we use in our daily lives is not designed by women and men I, I cannot think of a future like that and there is a key issue here that was repeated I think I heard the word 20 years we're better off from 20 years ago but the pace is the pace of the technology, is the pace of our future going to wait for us to put all these laws and legislations and be patient with them? Is the future patient as we are patient with our rights and how much we integrate women into the, the holistic space? Another element that I will end with is um, things that have been repeated. The Me Too campaign, the competition among women, uh, violence am among women. It's a lot of issues that um, whether we want to face it uh, directly or not, there is a big mental health problem that needs to be tackled, especially for women who are putting themselves on the forefront trying to solve problems. And... Uh, from my own experience, things that have hurt, helped me a lot, um, overcome my confidence issues, overcome my whatever uh, traumas in my life, is the women and is the women networks because we create a very uh, safe space where I can talk to, to women from Europe, I can talk to women from other countries in uh, about yes, they were they're going to understand, you're going to open up and. You can really, really share. So um, one of the tools I think that that's going to empower women is 
integrating um, with the training, with the education, with the access to finance, also putting mental health as a very, um, as a priority. Because if I am going to be an engine to drive solution, if I want, if I need to start up every day and work hard, I need to be healthy enough for that. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, uh, Justina, because as you were speaking, I was thinking it's true that our image of the future is actually we're seeing it through male eyes because all of the major science fiction novels or movies, Blade Runner is one of them that I love, but is are fashioned and crafted through male eyes. It's true, and, and it's actually, I mean, for it's a journey, isn't it? I mean, as you go further into the topic, you realize how many veils, if I may use that word, keep falling, and you realize, actually, I have seen that through my own prism, which is inherited from a society where men um, have taken the lead in defining uh, many, many things. So thank you very much for that as well. So, Ula, I wanted to ask you a specific question about um, the European Union institutions. I mean, you're working for DG Enterprise and Growth, etc. Then you have External Action Service, then you have DG Connect, you've mentioned that as well. And are, are the silos still there when you're working on issues of this sort of core issues of women's empowerment, entrepreneurship? Can you, are you pooling your resources together to try and get a, a one uh, policy, uh, a coherent uh, policy? Of course, uh, to say there would be no silos uh, in our administration, yeah. that, that is wishful no. thinking. <laughs> but um, on this issue on uh, women economic empowerment, uh, we have uh, pulled together, we have, for example, created an overview, we have done a list, what is done in the different director channels. I mean, that's already a start. And we are actively engaging with the colleagues from the different uh, departments to discuss, also to see who is even better placed to maybe pull further another action, because it might have been started in one director channel, but with the competence of other colleagues, we might go much further. And the good thing about this, people working on these files are passionate, meaning it is easier to engage with them because, let's say, they are more believing. And I think that that makes our life easier. And we have a similar experience in this. And I was very pleased during the different interventions that some of you talked about social enterprises. Because equally important, I think, is, and, and this is one thing which was mentioned on, on the networking, because when you manage to connect different networks because, as you said, it is very helpful to have uh, your network with uh, women in, in similar uh, situation. But real innovation and uh, activities happen when you have cross-sectoral links. And to foster cross-sectoral links between different areas, and that's what we experience in social economy in the European Commission now, we have now created a task force on social economy and we have 23 director channel in it, which, which shows when you think about it, you think about employment, inclusive uh, growth, but it goes much further than this. And we want to do now something similar also with, with women entrepreneurship, and, but linking women and youth entrepreneurship. We feel youth entrepreneurship is also a very important topic. So I think 
It will take time, but we have some very good examples, and particularly on, on the social economy, I'm extremely pleased on the good cooperation we have with our colleagues from the neighborhood uh, policies, because what they are doing, they are copying programs we have written and published uh, for Europe, and they are publishing them also for the main state. So they don't need to reinvent the wheel. They can use and avoid errors we have done. So I think this is a good example how we overcame uh, a silo, but of course. There are still silos. I wouldn't pretend that there are none. And just, uh, I mean, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but do you think that having more women in the European institutions, because, I mean, it's still a challenge, isn't it? Each time a new commission president is, is nominated, you know, he promises, I think, half and delivers maybe a third if we're lucky, right? Do you think that will change? Will change things for you, I mean? Yeah, I think it does, it, and it does already, because we saw lately uh, there was quite, if you look at the number of nominations in the different levels at the Commission, it has enhanced, and of course the more uh, commission, uh, commissioners we have, or vice presidents uh, being female, that, that, that is helpful. And uh, there was also recently now, uh, it was started by the European Parliament, uh, this uh, women uh, economic yes. uh, summit. summit. And uh, this raised also awareness between the different commissioners. And that helped also us because then we said, okay, let's, we need the information mm -hmm. from everybody because we, we should submit also to this group mm -hmm. what the commission is doing. And it helps, it, it reinforces mutually what we are doing. It does. I mean, as Elizabeth Gigu was saying, you know, the more women there are, the more policies will change. Asita, please, your comments on what you've heard and some future-oriented remarks. Yes, one um, comment I would like to make about what I've heard is the importance of the, of the verb help. Please don't use help when you speak about men participating to a household or to children because we were not born with these responsibilities. Society just made a decision, like Simone de Beauvoir said, to turn us into CEO of these tasks. But I always tell my husband, you don't help me, you're doing your part. <laughs> no, I, I don't. Uh, half of the planet has a problem with that, and we really need to, because we forget. Even I forget sometimes, and I say, men should help women. I say, no, what am I doing? So this brings me to the point to say that the biggest barrier is also internal. Um, we internalize so much, and sometimes we are not very conscious when we are accepting uh, discrimination or um, discriminating other women. I just say that, especially in politics. When I got into politics, I, I noticed that those who do not choose us are ourselves. We don't choose us. We actually, what does a, an average female voter thinks about leadership? She, she, she sees someone who looks like her father or grandfather. She doesn't see another woman or herself. So we need to try to imagine ourselves leading, co-leading the world and not only being led by people who, you know, I don't say they're bad, but we need to share the power. Otherwise, you know, those who has it will abuse and will always make us be, become followers. I think today we have big opportunities for change. Um, three quick ones. First one is a huge opportunity with the Sustainable Development Goals. You know, today all the major companies are looking for talent. Who wants to work for a company you are feeling ashamed about? We kind of sometimes have the luxury to choose our bosses. So I think companies, we could, governments and 
citizens and co-workers could stimulate corporations to use these sustainable development goals to really achieve some development, some, some business partnerships. And I see that also in how businesses are operated. And also some of my clients, when they say we went to SDG 5 because we don't have enough women who are operating large equipments in construction sites. We need that. We need to change that village over there. So this is very important because the client the client, will, the client of that client will say, I need you to show me that you're doing that because otherwise I'm not very proud to work for you. And the banks will say, should we finance that project? So there is such an opportunity there that we can use. The second one is the decision of women. When you remember what happened to the suffragists, I usually like to, uh, to recall that, that actually they went on hunger strike and they were forced fed, you know, by using a steel gap to open their throat, to put something in it, to put food in it, so that we can have the right to vote. You know, when you have that right to vote, and in Belgium we have that obligation to vote even, what, whatever we go to vote, and we don't think of how the, what the impact is, we are just putting these dead suffragists again in the torture that they have been. I think we should just feel ashamed and say, what are our decisions today? Because yesterday, it was fighting for the rights of participating. Today, we have so many rights to participate. So the moral obligation of using these rights, just using it to, to be um, um, like acceptable, uh, acceptable um, uh, follow, follow you know, next generation of those who dare more than us. But to use these rights, we need to overcome the internal barrier. And I know it's not easy. I had to overcome it myself as well to go and say, look, I am candidate. Look, I want to do this. But you know, when one, one person who spoke said that women, I think it was you, that women sometimes arrive at the, the, the places where they need to be and they don't contribute to change things. I think whatever they do, they contribute to because they don't have to be perfect. Why do we expect women to be perfect? You know, men are not perfect. But why do people think that the leader is a man? Because they kept, I'm sorry, <laughs> because they used to see a man leading. As a woman, when I see women like you when you were minister or like uh, uh, very uh, strong women all over the world who are leading, it inspires us and we want to lead as well. So whatever they do, they change something by being there, by being there and showing that they can do it. And that is why I also founded the political incubator because I noticed in Belgium, we have parity law. We have even uh, quotas in uh, public corporations. I'm in a board, I think, because I know I'm competent, but I know I wouldn't have my opportunity if there was no quota. But for the parity law, despite the parity law, we still have 10% mayors, male, uh, female mayors in Brussels. And you know this is not working. So why is that not working? Because women are not daring to run for office, and women are not voting for women, and women do not find the political agenda that works for them. Right. So for the incubator, we try to make, to disrupt uh, politics and <laughs> to bring it our way. So that's what we are doing. And for those who want to know more, they can get in touch with me uh, later on for, for that. One, uh, in, the, in, the f uh, in October, we are doing the Pauline Business Day in Burkina Faso, where women will be brought to an hotel. Um, and uh, in that hotel, when I was a student, you never go there if you, as a woman if you're not a whore. So this, we are going to bring these women there and they will come there as potential leaders and have a meeting about leadership and have a mentor for one year. Thank you very much, Asita. And that is a hopeful note uh, to end that on. Silvana, your, your thoughts, please. Actually, there's not that much to add to what Asita said because she covered very much the 
the political angle, but let me just, uh, so kind of what steps to take from here? Well, I would say all of you consider going into politics, men and women alike. Um, if It doesn't have to be a choice for life. It can be for several years. I, I was for 10 years member of European Parliament and it was um, a time that was full of uh, learning uh, opportunities and experiences which I wouldn't want to miss. Um, and I would also say on the point that Asita made that one shouldn't have higher expectations to women and fall into the trap. I mean, Helen Clark, who was the former Prime Minister of New Zealand and then head of the UNDP, she, in a bit of a sarcastic comment, said, real um, equality we have when women can be as incompetent in politics as men can be. So now this is not the point of more diversity, right? We want to get the best of both coming out. But what I also want to say is that men can be incredibly incredible ac accelerators to get to political parity. Like um, if you, if, and when they make it a, a leadership issue, I mean, everybody talks about Justin Trudeau in that context, but also somebody like Sebastian Kurz in Austria who made for his more, let's say, on the right political spectrum, <laughs> where you wouldn't expect this to happen, say, I'm going to have a parity list and the ministers for my party will be 50-50. I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, this wasn't thinkable a few years ago. Then this topic was on the green and left side of politics. But it's something that becomes, um, that's why I bring that example up, because I think it's interesting um, to the extent where it where it happens, and um, just on because I saw well the lady from from Jordan just left, but I think it's uh, I just wanted to underline the point that Asita um, made about not having the mindset men are helping. Now, obviously, everybody is sometimes in a weak situation where he or she needs help. That's not the point, but. It's about partnership, it's about equality, it's about being equal when it comes to leadership position and it's about allowing uh, this kind of equality in other areas. I had two of my three children while I was in parliament and it was super tough because German society is very conservative, I'm German. And uh, I was portrayed as the, the bad mother par excellence. And I was always asked, so does your husband help you? And I said, no, he isn't. Um, he just takes 50% of responsibility. <laughs> and this was like, uh, I mean, this was like always too much <laughs> in a way for, for, for a German societal setting, but this is how it only was possible to work because otherwise if I would have to think of what to put on the shopping list or tell him that's the pediatrician and this is the closing time of the crash. I mean, this is like, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not the point. So just wanted to make underline what Asita was saying, that this is a mindset shift, which uh, is kind of um, um, summarized in the word helper. So, you know, it's interesting that Hillary Clinton's uh, uh, Twitter handle says wife, mother first. In, in her Twitter handle. So it's almost like women want to be modest and want to project an image of modesty by putting themselves second. It's, it's as you were saying, self-inflicted uh, in, in a sense. Elizabeth, you wanted to have the final word? I'll have the final word, but I'm happy to give you a few minutes. Actually, just perhaps one minute. No.
just uh, well, three remarks. First, uh, the European institutions are very good. As far as parity is concerned, uh, the European Parliament is one of the parliaments where there are uh, really uh, most women. And, uh, and, and well, the European Commission is quite good. It could be better, <laughs> like all, many of our institutions. Uh, second remark is that it's, of course, uh, we have to change laws. And it's, good, it's very important to have very good laws and to learn from what has been done before. For example, to avoid the fact that women uh, are not often mayors, uh, you have to put in the law that parity has to be, uh, to be the rule as, as well for top of the list. For example, in Tunisia, you know, <laughs> there were <laughs> not so many women uh, elected because they were uh, rejected at the bottom of the list. I don't know if it has changed, but uh, uh, because, you know, they remember. So that's good laws, but it's more difficult to change minds. And their solidarity between women is absolutely essential. When we were, when I was in French Parliament, we decided both right and left you know, that each time one of us would be attacked or, you know, uh, march in Parliament, we would all go out together. And this is very important. That kind of thing is, of course, uh, very important. That's why uh, civil society is absolutely predominant. In our programs in the Annaline Foundation, I'm very happy to, uh, to observe that in all our programs, we have uh, more women than men. And, you know, they are focused on youth. Yeah? And this is very important because it shows that young women everywhere in the South and in, in Europe, uh, they want to have access to, uh, to public life. That will be my uh, last work for now. For today. <laughs> well, for now, exactly. No, thank you very much. I think, Natalie, we can say that at Friends of Europe also we have more women than men working at Friends of Europe. And we're very... Yeah, so we're really blazing the trail when it comes to think tanks in Brussels. I just want to make that very, very clear to all of you. So thank you very much indeed for this wonderful uh, voyage, I should say, this journey. We started off talking about women in business, that, but we've talked about just about everything, including women in business and women entrepreneurship. We've talked about education, social norms, uh, how they can hold you back, but also in some societies, propel you forward. You know, going outside your comfort zone, as many of us have realized, even on social media, you get trolled. I mean, women get more abuse and more threats of sexual violence on social media than men saying the same thing do. And I think this is something that also deters us. The need for more women politicians, the need for more success stories, networks, and I think the very important point of women helping each other, solidarity, very, very important. The importance of legislation, lawmaking, legal awareness, but also implementing. And then, of course, when it comes to women in business, access to finance, I think a, a very, very important issue. So thank you very much uh, all for your contributions. The dialogue and the conversations continue. Natalie, I'll have to ask you what we do next, because I've been focused on this. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you all very, very much.